Amen. Thank you, band. Good morning, everybody. Um, Really special thank you to the band. They're always great, but they put in a lot of extra time this weekend as we're putting in a new uh, soundboard system up there, uh, working out the kinks on that, and we, we appreciate those who faithfully lead us in worship every single week, and they do it with great excellence. Um, do we have any grandparents in the house? Raise your hand if you would. A number of them. Okay, so uh, apparently, according to a slew of surveys, um, the, the life happiness, life satisfaction, at least in America and in the UK, tends to peak out at age, can you guess? 68, 68 years old, on average, the happiest year of your life. Some of you, um, it's all downhill from where, where you were. <laughs> Many of us, we have much to be looking forward to. I don't know exactly why it's the age of 68. I could guess it. I mean, this would probably be where many of us are retired and we get to spend our days with the grandkids and then we get to send them home <laughs> and sleep in a nice, quiet house, at least until your bladder wakes you up. Um, <laughs> So tell me, (laughs) your laughter suggests I've hit on something here. So grandma, grandpa, I want to ask you um, if you had one last opportunity to gather up all your children and your grandchildren around you, what would you say to them? If you had one last chance to sit down in, in the rocking chair and gather up your, your closest family members. What is it upon the, your departure there that, that you would want to convey to them? One pastor suggests that that would not be a time for trivialities and certainly not a time for vague generalities, but you would want to leave your kids and your grandkids with words ringing in their ears that are of benefit for eternity. The idea then of an earthly father departing his earthly kids is matched in its significance by the idea of a spiritual father departing his spiritual kids. And that's what our text is all about this morning. If you brought your Bibles, and I, and I encourage you to do so, um, open them up or, or turn them on as the case may be, and uh, go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. If you do need to use one of the black Bibles, you're going to find this text on page 929 and you'll be helped to follow along. Uh, By the way, my name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here. We're going to listen in this morning as the Apostle Paul gives counsel and he gives encouragement to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. Uh, And at the end of this scene, if you're not familiar with it, well, you're going to see it. All the emotions that just come spilling out here, kneeling, weeping, embracing, grieving. Uh, We're going to get right into it here. Acts 20. I'm going to start reading at verse 17. And I remind you as I do so that this now is the very word of our Lord. Now from Miletus, uh, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Well, it's a big passage and I don't think I'm going to, I know I'm not going to get to every verse, um, but certainly we're going to try and hit some of the the key pieces to it. Um, it's a big passage, and you know, the Bible is a big book, um, which means that it is plenty big that preachers really don't need to just keep preaching the same passages over and over again. Um, I have preached this text, though, at least once before. Uh, this was the text for my final sermon at the uh, only other church that I have ever served as lead pastor, uh, Faith Presbyterian, which was a happy ministry and a wonderful church. Um, It was seven years ago, this coming May, that I preached my last sermon there. But I kept my notes from that sermon, and it was it was kind of funny uh, looking over those this week, um, coming at it, uh, of course, from a very different perspective. Rather, Um, reading through some of those notes, not as a pastor saying goodbye, 
hopefully, (laughs) unless you have something to tell me, but rather as a shepherd trying to live this passage out right here where God has put me. Um, And as part of that sermon back in 2010 uh, that I preached uh, to my church there, I read from a letter by John Brown, 18th century Scottish minister on the occasion of his retirement, and this was his counsel to his church as they now sought his replacement. Quote, With respect to your obtaining another minister, let me beseech you by much fervent prayer, get him first from the Lord. And let it be your care to call one whose sermons you find to touch your conscience. May the Lord preserve you from such as aim chiefly to tickle your fancy and seek themselves rather than Jesus Christ. Brown was saying there, listen, folks, above all else, find a gospel man to teach you and to lead you. And I think that Paul is saying here in Acts chapter 20, something very similar. You remember if you were here last week, Eutychus, he fell asleep, he fell out of the window, the the whole thing there, that was in Troas. Well, now the events of Troas are behind us. We've left there. Um, We're hastening back to Jerusalem. It said up in verse 16, which is outside of this morning's text, Paul wants to get there um, for one of the major Jewish festivals, Pentecost, there in the city of Jerusalem. But along the way, the ship's captain puts in at Miletus, uh, which is a port city for just a few days. And so Paul takes the opportunity from there to send for the Ephesian elders, where you'll recall he spent time in that church for upwards of two years. He spent longer there than I believe anywhere else in all of his missionary travels. He does not go back to Ephesus himself, which is a, a you know a half day's travel or something like that. Um, presumably, he didn't want to stir up another riot like the last time that we were in Ephesus. So he sends for those elders to come to him. Um, these, these these elders that he labored with, he trained, he loved. Um, served beside him shoulder to shoulder for years. I don't know how many there were, half dozen, dozen, it doesn't tell us. Um, Regardless, when they receive word where Paul is, they rush back to meet with him um, and he gathers them around, right? Like Like a father, like a grandfather, gathering up his kids that one last time. Um... Begg suggests that he has four things to say to them, and since they rhyme, I'll give them to you. Uh, You might find it helpful to jot these down. The first thing is he gives them a declaration, a declaration. Verse 26 is what I'm looking at. Therefore, I testify to you this day. And if you read around that, what is it that he's testifying or that he's declaring He's declaring his innocence. I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now that 
that might sound funny in our ears, um, but what this is hearkening back to is you got to go back 600 years to get a little bit of the backstory here. You might want to put a finger here, and if you would, flip back with me. Old Testament book of Ezekiel, excuse me, chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33, the Lord's speaking directly through his prophet here. And if you flip to it, Ezekiel 33, and then you drop your eyes down to verse 7, God says, so you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, a wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. That might come across as very Old Testament-y, the way that, the way that that's put But there's application here for us. A warning to those who know the danger of sin, but you're never willing to tell your neighbor about it. Um, I think that our community table is a great example of this, right? I mean, you, you just heard Paul Carr share his heart on this ministry that CT every Tuesday evening would not be just about sharing a meal or even just about sharing our lives. But it would be coupled with a sharing of the gospel. And that's exactly what it should be. I cannot think to myself of anything that would be much worse than our community table guests on that final day of judgment standing before the throne and looking over to this church family and saying, I, I had a free meal at your church for five, six, seven years or more worth of Tuesdays. And you never told me of the need to turn from my sin and the need to turn to Christ. It's exactly that kind of thing as you flip back to the main text in Acts there that's in Paul's mind here. Whatever else you could say about me, he's telling them, I have sought to be a faithful watchman. Andrea Seau, she's a columnist for World Magazine, um, and she writes, we all think we're believing what the Bible says. But as the fish is the last to know he is in water, so each church swims in its own soup. We assimilate the views of the group we inhabit with the precision of a child's mimicry of his parents' accent. The pastor can preach more faith till kingdom come, but the dullest of us is sophisticated enough to know If a pastor isn't modeling trust in Christ when outside the pulpit, his words in the pulpit will be like a lame man's legs which hang useless, Proverbs 26. 
Now, I read that and I thought, well, I should probably save that. (laughs) That's quite a quote. And if we're being entirely honest, even as it indicts the pastor, and it does, I suspect it might indict many of you as well. But not Paul. He says, I'm innocent. That's what he declares. After all of this ministry, he can in good conscience say, I am innocent. Before your very eyes, I've placed myself beneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because faithful shepherds, he's telling this this group of elders gathered before him, faithful shepherds are merely under shepherds to the good shepherd. Remember, that's who Paul is talking to here. Elders, under shepherds of Christ the King himself. These men who are leading this local church, and as we move into a second point here, exhortation, that's very important to keep in mind who he's talking to. Did you know that this is the only sermon of Paul's, which is recorded in the book of Acts, that's addressed to Christians. <laughs> I don't know if you would have thought of that. I did not. I had to have that pointed out to me. All of his other sermons were primarily evangelistic in nature, save this one, where he is talking to 100% already professing Christians. So we, you got the declaration, and now you've got the exhortation, which is defined as an utterance, discourse, or address conveying urgent advice or recommendation. I'm at verse 28 now. Pay careful, this is the exhortation, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Or if you're reading from the NIV, it says keep watch over yourselves. And there's um, something of an axiom here because in general, churches will not progress beyond the spiritual depth of their leadership. In most cases, churches will not progress beyond the spiritual depth of their leadership, which is why I have spent seven years here as much as it is within my power trying to push out of leadership those of questionable character and doing my best as much as it was within me to pull into leadership gospel men and gospel women who hold Christ supreme above all else. I'm talking about staff. I'm talking about elders, deacons, committee members, ministry team leaders, community group leaders, A Puritan pastor named Baxter, he once wrote, take heed to yourselves lest your example contradict your doctrine and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin. Lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues. For this would be the best way to make men think the word of God but an idle tale. One proud, surly word. One needless contention. One covetous action may cut the throat and blast the the fruit of all that you have been doing. So take heed to yourselves. 
Paul's reminding these men and is reminding us faithful shepherds are merely under shepherds of the good shepherd. Watch yourselves, he says, and watch over the flock. When I was in New Zealand uh, years ago, uh, well, do you know what New Zealand has a lot of? Sheep. Oh my gosh. 40 million of them. Far more than the actual human population. And I mean, I can throw the number out, but until you've been there, it is unreal. They just flow into the roadways all the time. They flow up onto front lawns, just cheap everywhere. Um, While we were there, our group went to a farm to see the dippings. Uh, It is quite impressive. It took two men to to manhandle this beast into a fiery bath of chemicals. Uh, Why did they do it? Because sheep are filthy (laughs) and sheep are stinky. And they are infested with all kinds of unpleasant little pests like lice and ticks and worms. So when Jesus and now Paul keep returning over and over and over to this metaphor of sheep standing for the people of God. (laughs) Well, what do you think the message is there? I think is this, congregations are stinkers, (laughs) full of unpleasant pests that regularly need to be dipped in chemicals. Churches, like flocks of sheep, are filled with wayward, stubborn, and obstinate people. This may indeed end up being my last sermon here after all. (laughs) Of course, I speak as a sheep to other sheep. This is why Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament was told over and over and over again, you need godly leaders, also called overseers, also called pastors, also called shepherds, bunch of different vocabulary. Don't be thrown off by that. It's not talking about different offices. It's different vocabulary. It's all pointing to the same truth, that faithful shepherds are merely under shepherds to the good shepherd. So the exhortation he gives them is, keep watch over yourselves and keep watch over the flock. He gives them a declaration. He gives them an exhortation and then a premonition. A premonition or a a prediction, if you like. Uh, Verse 29, Paul warns that savage wolves will one day come in among them and not spare the flock. Savage wolves. And then verse 30, he tells it straight, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. From among your own selves, he says. Has this ever happened at Medway Community Church? Absolutely. And for that reason, and for a thousand others, I am so grateful. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that we do not have in this church elders, verse 27, who shrink from the counsel of God. At MCC, and it's been this way for some time now, by God's grace alone, 
you and I are blessed with leaders who stand firm. And so when it comes to June 2017 this year, or June 2018 next year, or June 2019, the year after that, and every single June thereafter, when we elect new leaders, I want you to keep this stuff in mind here, that we elect folks who don't shrink from the battle, who do not give quarter to sin because it's uncomfortable to confront it. I've told you before, and I'll say it again, it is, grace is not nice. Grace is not being nice. It's never gracious to allow someone to persist in their sin. It's grace to humbly and mercifully, taking heed to yourself, call them back. That's what Paul's telling these guys to do. It's the image here. Shepherds who don't sleep. (laughs) They're farsighted. They're weather-beaten, they're vigilant, leaning on the staff there, right? Looking out over the flock, this flock that they know and they love and they lead and they protect. Faithful shepherds are merely under-shepherds to the good shepherd. And that's what we need because into the church will come wolves, So that's Paul's counsel to the Ephesian elders, his spiritual children gathered around him one last time. He gives a declaration, an exhortation, a premonition, and then finally we get a benediction, a benediction. And you say, well, that's good, Trav, because that last part about the wolves was a real downer. (laughs) I, I agree, but I didn't write this stuff. So how does he bring this all to a close? As he says goodbye, you know, What is Paul concerned to write in their yearbook? (laughs) You remember your your 12th grade yearbook? Senior year and everyone signed. You remember the crazy stuff people wrote in there? You're graduating. You may never see them again. And they write, have a good summer. (laughs) Have a good summer. That's all you got. Or love you like a brother. (laughs) You think, oh, I've had a crush on you since kindergarten. Don't love me like a brother. I imagine that could have happened to somebody. I don't. <laughs> How awkward for you. <laughs> so, so here at the end, <laughs> what Paul gives them, thankfully, was it's a lot more than a yearbook signature, right? He's been telling them faithful shepherds are merely under shepherds to the good shepherd. And then he gives the benediction and it's beautiful. Verse 32. And now I commend you. To God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to God and the word of his grace. That's good news. And some of us need to hear this today more than others, but all of us need to hear it to some degree that we're commended to God and the word of his grace. If you are a shepherd this morning in this church and you're reading this passage and you think this is more than I am able, take comfort. If you're a member of this church, 
and you're beginning to have the sneaking suspicion that you don't really do a very good job watching either yourself nor your neighbor. Take comfort. If you're a Christian who finds yourself constantly trapped and and sucked back into that religious performance mentality to get God's love, but always in the back of your mind knowing there's no way I'm good enough. Take comfort. You're actually much worse than you realize. (laughs) And his grace is far greater than you know. So I commend you to God. And I commend you to the word of his grace. I read to you from John Brown, that retiring pastor back in the 1800s. To finish, let me just give you a couple more sentences from that same letter that he wrote to his church. Um, This time, it's not focused on Brown's successor, but it's more about his own self-assessment. Kind of outlines all that he sought to do in his time as a pastor. And then he goes on to say, but I have no confidence in any of this stuff before God is my judge. Quote, I see such weakness, such deficiency, such unfaithfulness, such imprudence, such selfishness in all that I have done as a minister or as a Christian. I have no hope of eternal happiness save in Christ's blood which cleanseth from all sin according to the riches of his grace. It is this everlasting covenant of God's free grace that ensures my salvation and all that I desire. Let he who has ears hear. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame,